if you would stand with me, we'll read Genesis chapter 2. We're going to read the first three verses just to kind of kickstart what we're thinking about. This is God's word to his people. Thus the heavens and the earth were finished and all the host of them. And on the seventh day, God finished his work that he had done, and he rested on the seventh day from all his work that he had done. So God blessed the seventh day and made it holy, because on it God rested from all his work that he had done in creation. This is God's word to us. We praise him for keeping it for us. Let's pray once more tonight. Father, we come to you tonight. We want our entire life to please you. We don't want there to be any a portion that we keep to ourselves or uh, remove from you or try and keep hidden from you. In fact, to, to try and even do those things is foolish, but yet so much of our time in life we do spend trying to hammer out little coves, if you will, that are places for us to hide away from this world. So help us as we think through the idea of recreation, this idea of hobbies or rest, what it looks like, how can we please you, Um, in every component of our life. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen. You guys can be seated tonight. What we do in our quote-unquote free time is not an excuse from the opportunity to glorify God. So let me just phrase this out for you. What you do when you're not working, when you're not going to school, or when you're not uh, being involved in the life of a local church is not like a get-out-of-jail-free card. It's not an opportunity for you to basically do whatever you want with no repercussions. That's not how the Bible views things. It was the uh, beginning of September of 2007. Uh, I had just transferred to a brand-new high school. Uh, I had begun to, to make some new friends. I had known some people in that school, Um, and then transferred into it. I went from a uh, small Christian school, and I'll emphasize small here in just a second, because in 7th grade through 12th grade, there were 33 students. I moved to a class 4A high school uh, in Iowa, which is the largest class. There were 9th to 12th grade, just under 1,300 students. So... uh, my graduating class was seven times larger than the entire middle school and high school that I had just come from. I had known a lot of people. I had grown up in uh, that town, and that school was literally two minutes from my house. In in fact, I could walk to it on nice days. Uh, It was that short of a walk. So I knew a lot of people there, uh, but I had at the same time, didn't know them. And I began to make friends. And as you all know, um, when you are a senior in high school, everybody wants to know what you're going to do with your life. Where are you going to go to school? Um, and this was an interesting conversation, given the fact that I had just been accepted to BBC, knew I was going to be moving to Springfield, Missouri, to study uh, to be a pastor. And that created some interesting eyebrows being raised. They didn't really know what to do. Um, They were surprised to find that there was a future, in their words, minister uh, amongst them. Uh, It led to some pretty interesting questions. Um, 
It, word gets around really fast when you're the odd duck, apparently, out of the group. He's not going to the University of Iowa. He's going to Southwest Missouri to be a pastor. So inevitably, people would say, well, why don't you ask the pastor? And I somehow became the uh, chaplain of this uh, different pockets of people. What also came out of that uh, was uh, it did not lead to a lot of invitation to parties. Um, nobody really wants the next pastor hanging out at the party on Friday night, apparently. So, um, again, small group of friends. And it was one of these uh, in one of these small pockets of friends that I was invited of all things on a Friday night to go bowling. Um, and I will still to this day never forget walking into that bowling alley on a Friday night um, to hang out with some friends to to bowl. Like this is like the lowest high school activity outside of just sitting around in somebody's basement. And I remember the look of shock on my friend's face as I walked in there. And I did not know what was wrong. I didn't perceive there to be anything wrong. I thought, I've been bowling many times. Uh, I did not think this was a dress-up activity. So shorts and a T-shirt. I did not think that we're supposed to bring anything other than money to pay to, to go bowling. And I got to my group of friends, and, and, and this friend was looking at me, and I said, what is wrong? And, and she replied, I did not think that you could do this. And I, I said, like, it, what of this do you not think, like, I'm not physically able to bowl? Don't I have the mental capacity to bowl? Um, I'm not athletic enough? Um, I certainly was cool enough to bowl. I mean, that's not, there's not a cool factor associated with bowling as far as I know, and still to this day don't know that there is one. She said, no, you're going to be a pastor. Why would you be in a place like this? It was really puzzling because it really was, it, for me, an eye-opening moment. Is there in the mind of people this idea that merely because you are a Christ follower, suddenly you are unable or incapable or not allowed to enjoy life, do anything fun. You must sit and uh, listen to podcasts and read. And some of you are going to think, that's exactly what you do. So you're probably not our best representative to send out into uh, the masses to teach on this. But really what I want to say to us tonight is there's a lot of stuff that captures our attention and time outside of being involved in the life of a local church, going to school, and going to work. There's a lot of stuff that captures our heart, mind, and attention. But how do we think about that biblically? So we that's where we have to start. Is if we're going to talk about this at all, we have to think about what does the Bible really have to say about recreation? Well, that's where we turn to a biblical call for recreation. Genesis chapter 2, verses 1 through 3, while the Bible may not specifically call for recreation, what it does call for is rest, which is ultimately at the heart of what recreation is. When you get away from the busyness of life into rest, this is the idea of recreation. Now, let's look at Genesis chapter 2. Thus the heavens and the earth were finished, and all the hosts of them... And on the seventh day, God finished his work that he had done, and he rested on the seventh day 
from all his works that he had done. So God blessed the seventh day and made it holy because on it God rested from all his works that he had done in creation. It's really important to note at the beginning of this, just in case you've forgotten, that this uh, call to rest, this activity of resting, happens prior to the fall. So there's no sin involved here. There is no, sin has not affected the world. There, there is no uh, condemnation that has been cursed on the earth, but there is rest taking place. And it's significant that we notice this for two reasons. Number one, again, it rests, God rests prior to the fall. So rest is a necessary element for humans as they work, and it's not just merely a result of the fall. I think there are some people who like legitimately believe heaven is going to be great because I won't have to take naps or go to sleep, and I won't have to ever um, stop doing uh, work. I, I, I feel sorry for those people. And I know several of you enjoy sleep, and your fear is when we get to heaven, there is not going to be night, so there must not be sleep. So I enjoy a good nap. I nap as often as I can to the glory of God, is what you're thinking. And this is terrifying to me. Well, God actually models for us rest because we as humans are going to need it. Notice that I say God models rest. God models rest for us, not because he needs to rest. I always, no one, uh, again, not to belabor this point, but I didn't really grow up in a, uh, an environment, uh, a church environment, where they were too prone to asking good theological questions. I grew up in a, a theological environment at a, at a church that was really concerned that the girls not wear uh, too short uh, skirts and the guys not have too long of hair. Uh, that was kind of the, uh, that was the expectation. And so to ask questions like, uh, why is God resting? Because this doesn't seem to be consistent with his nature, was not appreciated. So I grew up thinking, why in the world is God resting here? He's not tired. I mean, the Psalms make this clear that God is not tired. Uh, he doesn't lack or need anything. Reading again this morning, the book of Job, Job chapters 38 and 39, where um, that narrative takes a surprising twist as God begins to converse with Job. You know, he's got his idiot friends, Job does, that are like, this is basically your fault. Then the young one of the group, Elihu, says, you all are big-time idiots. Uh, this in my translation, it's not in the Hebrew, but you, if you read real closely, it's there. Elihu says, it's not, you, you, Job, you don't have a right to condemn yourself. You're not God. And your friends don't have a right to condemn you because they're not God. And then Elihu, for two chapters, praises God and his character. And then God, in chapters 38 and 39, shows up on the scene and says to Job, where were you when I found and laid the foundations of this earth? Where were you? Tell me how many birds you fed. And, and God begins to put Job in his place. And in those chapters, we're reminded that God does not require or need anything. He is all sufficient in and of himself. It's directly different from us. 
So what God does then is he models rest for us, not because he needs rest, but because but because he wants us to see its importance. God lacks for nothing. He needs nothing. He doesn't get tired. So the purpose of his rest is to show us its importance. I've got people here who dog on people for like they don't work hard enough because they're not getting up at 6 a.m. and going to bed the next night at 2 in the morning and, and that, you know, you just don't work hard enough. Now, there's nothing wrong with having a good, strong work ethic, but not resting or seeing rest, sleep, recharging, getting away, unplugging, taking good vacations that serve you to come back to work for God, that is unbiblical and wicked. Just as an overindulgence in rest of never working and constantly resting is also unbiblical and wicked. But God helps us as we think about this. Now, what's interesting as we move forward is that Jesus, as he comes to earth, models this for us as well. In, in Mark chapter 1, Jesus uh, retreats to, to pray because he is weary in his humanity. As being fully and truly man, Jesus is going to take periods of rest to withdraw, to recharge, and pray. Mark chapter 6, Jesus urges the disciples to rest. You could go to John chapter 14. Uh, I'm almost 100% right. I'm doing this on the fly, so if I'm off by a couple chapters, please show me some grace. John the Baptist is beheaded. Jesus, in the midst of a long ministry period, gets word that John is dead. I think it's John chapter 13. The first couple verses tell us that Jesus gets away because the weariness of ministering to people I think we, we focus a lot on the miracles that Jesus does in the New Testament, and rightfully so, but we don't often reflect on the results of those miracles. Jesus feeds 5,000 people. John the Baptist is killed, and Jesus basically turns around, and those 5,000 people have basically said, thanks for the lunch, we're out of here. And the weariness of the day-to-day -day ministry drains Jesus Christ in his humanity so that he has to get away to recharge. All through the New Testament, there are these models of rest, recuperation, and recharging, which is ultimately what recreation is intended to do, regardless of what its format is. I want you to hear this tonight. Regardless of what its format is, As long as it is God-pleasing and not overtly or covertly sinful, the model for your recreation may be different than someone else's, but the purpose of it should be to rest, recharge, and, and push you back into service. Flip over to 1 Corinthians chapter 10. So if we're going to talk about this idea together tonight, then we, we must not just 
it's really easy to say, okay, David, you've shown us a biblical picture, yada, 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 really cool. Thumbs up. Points for effort. But practically, what does this look like? So, you know, biblical call to create, or for recreation, and then let's just frame it in these two ways. Let's practically apply, how are we going to think about this? Number two, or our second point tonight, use it. So recreation should be used. When it comes to recreation and rest, there's a real sense in which we want to say what Paul says about every other activity. Look at 1 Corinthians chapter 10. It would help if I was in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, not 2 Corinthians chapter 10. Although both of them are inspired by God and profitable for doctrine, reproof, correction, 1 Corinthians 10 will be much more helpful. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 31. So whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. We think in terms of the, uh, let's just go Westminster Shorter Catechism. What is the purpose of man? To enjoy, to glorify God and enjoy him forever. Every activity that falls under our um, actions is to bring glory to God. So, what might be startling for some outside of this room to hear, but should not be for people who hopefully, and I've modeled this and preached this faithfully through the years, should not be surprising for you to hear me say is, it is possible for you to play Call of Duty to the glory of God. It is possible for you to watch Netflix to the glory of God. It is possible for you to hunt, to fish, to play sports, to shop even, get your hair done, a manicure, a pedicure, all to the glory of God. Why do I say that? Because the Apostle Paul does. He says whether you eat or drink, so he's starting intentionally rather small and then moves bigger, wider, or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. If Paul is concerned about eating and drinking, it is fair to say that he cares about the way we rest and play. Which would mean for some of you tonight that even the apostles' admonition here is life-giving to you because the way that you rest and recharge is by eating a good meal to the glory of God. It is possible to delight in the things that God has given us without it being sinful. Flip over to Colossians 3.17. I'm, I'm not a big believer just because you can find one verse in the Bible that it makes it thus. You know, it, that's a great way for people to just take and twist Scripture, twist scripture to say whatever they want it to say. And um, that's not good. In fact, Lord willing, um, in the new year, we'll invite uh, a few of you, because it's going to be a smaller group. We've I've already purchased this, to think about uh, how to read your Bible and, and maximize what you're getting out of it, but read it faithfully. So it, we can't just say, here's one verse, boom, there it is. It must be thus. Colossians chapter 3, verse 17. After talking about worship 
and the word, verse 16 says, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your heart to God. Now, Paul shifts away from that and says, and whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Whatever you do, and then Paul says, just in case some of you will not understand what the word whatever you do means, he goes on inside of that little phrase there, in word or deed. In other words, in the way that you speak and the actions that you do, all of it. Do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God and the Father through him. So even the Apostle Paul takes it even a step further, if you will, I make the argument that Paul, once again, highlights activity that should be done in the name of the Lord and limits it to two categories. And they're incredibly wide, word and deed. So every word spoken and every deed done should be done for God's glory. How do you do that? Well, you give thanks to God the Father through him. It is possible to simultaneously enjoy something and give God thanks for providing it for you. may be difficult it may require us to enjoy the giver more than the gift which is something that we struggle with really delight in an activity really enjoy it don't give any second thought to the one who's given it to us so practically what does this look like in our lives when we think about actually living okay again david you've taken us to the scriptures but i, I need some something Walk this out for me. Okay, so just a couple ways that you can begin to think about this as, as far as recreation and recharging. Number one, just practical, keep the Lord's Day. Sunday naturally is built into the rhythm of life to allow us a chance to recharge and refuel. Use it intentionally to help you not only rest, but grow in the Lord. You, you've got this day, you've, the Lord has called you to set apart. Now, I'm going to throw out a word here. We are not strict Sabbatarians. You're like, uh, that's good. I didn't even know that there was such a thing as a Sabbatarian. It, is, it did not mean that we take a hyper uh, look at the Lord's Day as like really protected and you can't do these certain things and you can't do this. But what we Christians would do well to keep the Lord's Day and set it apart, to think about the ways that it allows you a chance to recharge and refuel. You can do this practically in a, in a couple ways. Number one, if you're going to keep the Lord's Day, number one, go to bed at a decent hour, get good rest, and be recharged for Sunday morning. So playing Call of Duty to the glory of God doesn't exist. Playing Call of Duty until 3 o'clock on Sunday morning is probably in violation of that, especially if you oversleep and miss the Lord's Day gathering. I think the Lord's like, well, you know, you were playing Call of Duty to the glory of God. It's okay that you missed church. I don't think that that conversation is going to happen in heaven. And I will gladly be corrected on that point when we all get there. Um, but I want to be there, so I'm not going to take your word for it. If I show up in heaven, you're like, yeah, God didn't punish me. I'm like, let's go together. We're going to go talk uh, <laughs> together. I mean, thinking intentionally about going to bed at a decent hour to be recharged and refreshed. 
And I think just delighting in that day, waking up in the morning, maybe that's the one day that you treat yourself to something nice, a, a nicer meal that you enjoy with friends. Uh, maybe that's a day that you set apart. You, you, you may say, David, I really struggle to read, but on Sunday I'm going to do my best to try and grow and read and learn more. So uh, I'm taking advantage of the Lord's day. I'm going to use the opportunities that I have to go to meals with friends to uh, discuss the sermon. It's amazing to me how many people sit under good, godly, biblical teaching and leave church and never discuss it again. I've been to movie premieres and watched movies together with friends and have discussed movies for days on end afterwards and walked out of sermons with those same people and gone to meals together and never talked about what we learned together. It should not be so in the kingdom of God and the family of God. Okay, beyond the Lord's day. Um, one pastor suggests that recreation serves the purpose of refreshing and restoring us so that we may return with energy to the work God has called us to. That would be your vocation, what God has called you to do. We go back to our, our, our previous sermon on work and say, the Lord has called you to do something, so your recreation should serve to recharge and refuel you and get you ready to go back. It should not drain you. You should not leave. There are too many people who leave the weekend more exhausted to go back into what God has called them to do than when they entered into the weekend. Everybody's working for the weekend. They are not Christ followers because they see both the work week and the weekend as opportunities to glorify God. One to serve and recharge. One is an opportunity to live out and proclaim his message. So we should be intentional with what we choose to do, even in the, on our work evenings. So our recreation helps us to go back to our service. The, the unfortunate part about this, just to be completely honest, is I am preached this point all day long. But if you're not already serving the Lord, you have nothing to go back to. So if you don't view your work as a calling, and as God has placed you and ordained you to be here, then it doesn't really matter what you do on the weekend anyway, because you don't view that rightly. And if you don't, and if you view the Lord's Day as an opportunity to just kind of come in and sit and be fed and you don't have to really think or engage or do anything, then, then, you don't, then there's no point in recharging and using that. You see, you see what I'm saying? Like, you can talk about this all day long, but if you don't view things, every area as an opportunity to bring honor and glory to God, you won't use it rightly. So, yes, embrace the things that the Lord has gifted you and allowed you to do. People find it weird, okay? I, I will just confess it right now. People find it weird how much and how widely I read. But honestly, it is something that I enjoy and love to do. In fact, tonight, I will go home after preaching this sermon. I will help Jess put Harper to bed. I will eat some cereal and read Cal Newport's book on digital minimalism. Not because anyone's assigned it to me, and not because um, I have to, because that recharges my batteries. And you're like, you're a nerd. And I'm like, yeah, I know I am. And I'm okay with it. Because that's the way that God has hardwired me. And some of you, the difference is, you're allowing your recreation to drive you and not serve you. Which leads us to our final thought tonight. Uh, don't abuse it. Use recreation, but don't abuse it. Look at 1 John. We'll go back to 1 John chapter 5. 
I think this is the perfect way. You think about 1 John as a letter to young believers in the faith, and this is a perfect way to wrap up your instruction to them. 1 John chapter 5, verse 20 and 21. And we know that the Son of God has come and has given us understanding so that we may know him who is true, and we are in him who is true, in his Son, Jesus Christ. He is the true God and eternal life. John wraps up his letter by exalting the character and nature of God, and then one little verse to kind of button it all together. Little children, keep yourself from idols. The true danger that we really honestly face tonight is that our recreation becomes ultimate. Another pastor noted that we abuse the gift of recreation when we live for it rather than use it to live. John warns us against guarding against the idols of life and recreation because they can easily become one. Here's how you know that your recreation has become an idol. You can't live without it. I see people talk all the time. Hey, look, I am all for vacation. Vacation to the glory of God. But when you say things like, I can't live without a vacation, or I can't survive much longer if I don't get some time in your favorite getaway spot, or I'm going to, I I don't know, maybe you're like, I'm going to die if I don't get there. That is probably not something that is really honestly trapping the the majority of 18 to 25-year-olds. But when you watch a group of people, a generation in front of you live that way, it's very easy to long for the same thing. I love your parents to the glory of God. I think they're wonderful people. For the most part. I mean, I don't know all of them, so I don't want to say something that's going like, ah, he doesn't know my parents well. But if your parents live as though vacation and getting away and dream trips are ultimate, instead of Christ as being the preeminent spot in their life, that is going to lead to a lifetime of emptiness and hollowness. The same way in which the person who lives for the next high, the next buzz, the next moment is wasting their life as well. See, you can be addicted to good things. Tim Keller, good things become bad things, and those good things become bad things. You can tell that recreation or rest has become an idol when you neglect the important and necessary uh, areas of your life for recreation. And that they take that has taken the seat of your affections, to quote Edwards. In other words, it's what your heart longs for above everything else. You don't long to be moved by God's word. You don't long for, for intimacy with Christ. You don't long to, to know God better. What you long for is to get away, to get recharged, so that you can get away again. Now, it's possible tonight, though, that you are here tonight and you live for those moments and rest because you haven't found your ultimate rest in Christ. Your greatest need tonight is not to reform or change your habits, but to trust in Christ alone for the forgiveness of your sins. That's the only way that you'll be able to enjoy true rest and know what ultimate rest is. I think there are a lot of people who are chasing around false ideas of rest, false ideas of recreation, 
false ideas of relaxation because they haven't found ultimate rest in Christ or because they truly don't understand what is available to them in Christ. So we have to ask ourselves this. How might life be different after today? Because you sit through a lot of sermons and are like, that was a great information. Thank you for studying it. I'm going to walk out and like, it was good information, like, it's good stuff. If I ever get on Jeopardy and I need to know those things, it'll be helpful. But what about tomorrow? How's my life going to be different tomorrow than it was today? Well, a couple, four things, right? Four things, real quick. Number one, your life might be different after today because you look to Christ first for rest and recreation as a way to physically rest. So I look to Christ first for being my rest. Number two, your recreation serves you and not the other way around. So when you go away to recharge, you are recharging with an eye towards coming back and serving God stronger than you were when you left. Your recreation better prepares you to serve Christ in the way that you think about it. You may be on vacation. You may be doing your favorite hobby. You may be online playing video games. You might find yourself at a table next to someone. You might find yourself... Uh, shopping near someone and having a conversation and in the middle of what you're doing to get away and recharge because your mind is focused on the fact that this exists to glorify God and to serve him you're looking for opportunities even in those moments to see from Christ and what he's done Midwest people uh, I've grown up around Heartland people my entire life they can't help themselves they buy something nice Someone notices it. They, they can't help themselves. They can't just say, oh, thank you. They have to say, thank you, and you're never going to believe the deal I got on it. I never want people to think that we've actually spent more than about $10. I think this is my mom's like motto in life. She's the worst at this. And the best, I guess. You know, simultaneously the worst and the best. You'll never believe I got this. They literally paid me $10 to buy these jeans. That's not true. in the middle of your conversations with people, even shopping, to be able to say, <laughs> you think that's a great deal? What about this? might be the most corny way to enter into speaking of Christ, but I don't think that anyone here has escaped the wrath of the judgment of God or eternity separated from God in a literal hell goes, you know, being with Jesus is nice, but it would have been certainly been better if they wouldn't have used that approach to getting into sharing Christ. No, our recreation better prepares us to serve Christ and to point others to him. That's number four. So to serve him and then to point others to him. Beloved, let's not be passive Christians that watch as opportunities pass us by because we have little coves of places where we go to get away. But rather that even in our getting away, we're looking for opportunities to point people to the way. Because this is not ultimate. This is not ultimate. I, I love Disney World. It was a wonderful, wonderful place to visit. But heaven and a relationship with Christ outstrips and outweighs any place that you can go here on this planet. Why? Because he created it and gave it to us. 
to use it rightly for him. So let's redeem even the way that we think about the small little things that, that we do to get around. And say, Lord, whatever it is, we do it for your glory. Let's pray.